Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's October 25th, 2016, and that means there's just two months left till Christmas. Today on the show, it's the semifinal round of our Jingle Bell Showdown, the Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Jingle and we've got a chance for you to win a sweet Can't Wait for Christmas prize package. But before we get to any of that, we're going to talk about Christmas urban legends, we're going to find a portal to television specials of Christmas past, and we're going to take a look at the history of the nativity scene. It's a lot to get through, so let's get to it. Let's start the show. And welcome to the Christmas Cave. My name's Tim Babb, stand-up comedian and lover of all things Christmas. Well, almost all things eggnog. Yeah. Anyway, we got a lot to get to today. We got a big contest where you could win a cool prize package from our Can't Wait for Christmas Zazzle store. And we're getting really close to picking that definitive version of Jingle Bells. And I've heard a special guest may even drop by today. But up first, I'm here to help you find a little holiday happiness once you have to re-enter that big bad world outside this show where 364 days aren't Christmas. It's our first segment, and I like to call it, We Need a Little Christmas, now. We need a little Christmas now. This one is especially for the Generation Xers. It's a website called Betamaximus.com. When you go there, it looks like a set from the Stranger Things, and that's fitting, because you'll see some strange things on that circa 1985 television. It's a trip back through time to the vintage holiday specials of the 80s. Uh, hang on. Is stuff from the 80s vintage now? Really? Can you look into if Santa can make people younger? Thanks. Okay, but not only are there Christmas specials like the Muppet Family Christmas or the Town That Santa Forgot, or special TV episodes from shows like Punky Brewster, Alf, The Odd Couple, or even special TV game show episodes like The Family Feud and The Gong Show, but there are also blocks of old holiday commercials, too. If you lived and Christmas during that time period, it is a perfect way to relive some random holiday memories that you thought were lost forever. If you weren't around in the 80s, um, I guess just watch it and laugh? Well, either way, you should totally check out Betamaximus.com. Not now! We still have a lot more show to do, including our next segment where we count down our top five festive favorites. It's a segment I call Five Golden Things. Five This month, another of that other spookier holiday that's just a few days away, I thought we'd take a look at some Christmas urban legends. To help, I've turned to the internet's number one source for urban legends, Snopes.com. Now, some of you may only know Snopes as the site you use to show your crazy Facebook friend that the news article they posted isn't actually true. But Snopes is actually much more than that. The site started out looking into the origins of urban legends and sometimes debunking them. Like, will eating Pop Rocks and soda make your stomach explode? Spoilers. No. Or, if you say Bloody Mary in a mirror three times, will a ghost appear? Spoilers, no, but I'm still not going to try it. Or, did someone pick up a hitchhiker who turned out to be a ghost? Spoilers, not that anyone's reported, but I'm not picking up any hitchhikers anyway. You can't be too careful. So, with a holiday as popular as Christmas, there are quite a few urban legends and myths that have cropped up around it. So for this list, we're focusing on urban legends the way the term is typically, if somewhat inaccurately, used. You see, urban legends are a specific type of folklore, but when people say, that's just an urban legend, what they really mean is, that didn't happen. So, 
Here are some Christmas legends that are not true. And links to the full articles on Snopes.com are available in the show notes of this episode. But don't go reading ahead or you'll spoil the fun. All right, let the legends begin. Number five. The modern image of Santa Claus was created by the Coca-Cola company. People loved to cynically toss this factoid out there during Christmas time, that Santa was just an invention of a Coca-Cola ad campaign. Well, according to Snopes, that's just not true. Santa had a long evolution from St. Nicholas to the jolly old elf that lives in the North Pole. Lots of writers and artists contributed to the legend of Santa over time. As the site says, the red and white Santa figure existed long before Coca-Cola began featuring him in print advertisements, and he had already supplanted a bevy of competitors to become the standard representation of Santa Claus before he began his tenure as a pitchman for Coke. Number four. The day after Thanksgiving is the biggest shopping day of the year in the U.S. I've always thought this one was true myself, especially recently, with all this hubbub about stores being open on Thanksgiving Day to take advantage of that Christmas season gift lust. It must be because Black Friday is the day people spend the most money and buy the most stuff, right? Of course not, or else why would this be on this list? Black Friday does signal the start of the holiday shopping season, and there's plenty of money being made that day. But a lot of people are just looking and not buying, which seems like a super bad idea, especially with all those trampling stories you hear every year. But you know how there's all those commercials about last-minute gift ideas? That's because the stores know the busiest day in terms of dollars spent is always right before Christmas. So if you're procrastinating, you're not alone. But you won't be alone in that line either. Incidentally, along with the myth of Black Friday being the biggest shopping day, is that the name Black Friday comes from the idea that it's the day where businesses go into the black because of all the profits they make. But that too is not true. But for details, we have to venture outside of Snopes to Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia, the earliest known use of Black Friday to refer to the day after Thanksgiving occurs in the journal Factory Management and Maintenance for November 1951, and again in 1952, which of course is everybody's favorite thing on their reading list for Christmas, am I right? No. Anyway, here it referred to the practice of workers calling in sick on the day after Thanksgiving in order to have a four-day weekend. However, this use does not appear to have caught on. Around the same time, the terms Black Friday and Black Saturday came to be used by the police in Philadelphia and Rochester to describe the crowds and traffic congestion accompanying the start of the Christmas shopping season. In 1961, the city and merchants of Philadelphia attempted to improve conditions, and a public relations expert recommended rebranding the days as Big Friday and Big Saturday, but those terms were quickly forgotten. Number three. The Immaculate Conception refers to Mary getting pregnant with Jesus. I'm actually going to turn this one over to legendary comedian, the late George Carlin. The Immaculate Conception does not mean Jesus was conceived in the absence of sex. It means Mary, his mother, was conceived without original sin. That's all it has ever meant. And according to the tabloids, Mary is apparently the only one who can make such a claim. The Jesus thing is called virgin birth. Even Catholics get that one wrong. Unfortunately, neither George nor Snopes explains how so many people started getting this wrong. But it's pretty widespread. Hopefully, if you tell two friends to listen to this podcast, and they tell two friends, and so on and so on, we can wipe out this misconception once and for all. Number two. The story of Rudolph was created by a father to bring comfort to his daughter as her mother lay dying of cancer. Well, that's depressing. 
this one I hadn't heard of before I started researching this, but maybe you've come across this email forward or Facebook copypasta. It basically says that the author of the poem that became the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was written by a guy named Robert May, whose kid was asking why her cancer-stricken mommy couldn't come home and why she had to be different. So he invented the story of Rudolph, a reindeer different than all the rest, to comfort her. Then he sold the story to Montgomery Ward, and the rest is history. Well, this is one of my favorite types of Snopes articles, because instead of a straight true or not true, there's more details needed for clarification. The Beth myths have a bit of truth in them, and this one has plenty of truth in it. But let's separate fact from fiction. Did a man named Robert May write the poem Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Yes. Did he have a daughter? Yes. Her name was Barbara, and she was four when the story was being written in 1939. Did he have a wife? Yes. Her name was Evelyn, and sadly she did have cancer and passed away in July 1939, just a month before the poem was finished. Was it written for Barbara to help with the pain of losing her mother? No. The poem was an assignment from May's employer, the department store Montgomery Ward. They were making a Christmas book for shoppers. He got the assignment in the early part of 1939. Did May share the story with his daughter to cheer her up? Not quite. He did run the poem by his daughter during the writing process, but that was to ensure that it would be entertaining to children. And now I would like you to forget all that information because I am sure a lot of it will come up again when I do a feature about the Rudolph song in some future episode. Number one. The origin of candy canes. I'm actually going to read this entire urban legend. A candy maker in Indiana wanted to make a candy that would be a witness, so he made a Christmas candy cane. He incorporated several symbols from the birth, ministry, and death of Jesus Christ. He began with a stick of pure white, hard candy. White to symbolize the virgin birth and the sinless nature of Jesus, and hard to symbolize the solid rock, the foundation of the church, and firmness of the promises of God. The candy maker made the candy in the form of a J to represent the precious name of Jesus, who came to earth to be our Savior. It could also represent the staff of the Good Shepherd, with which he reaches down into the ditches of the world to lift out the fallen lambs who, like all sheep, have gone astray. I actually found a great quote about this legend at the SmithsonianMag.com. First, Candy canes were certainly not invented in Indiana, since the first report of hard candy sticks, the precursor to candy canes, come from the 17th century, long before Indiana was even a glimmer in some secessionist's eye. Now, they're talking about just straight candy sticks there, not the canes we know with the hook on them. Those didn't appear till the early 20th century. So you could argue the legend is about the innovation of adding the hook. But you can just look at the legend's text and see they don't have their facts straight for that. They say the hook shape is to make a J like Jesus, or the legend literally says, or the hook shape is to create canes like shepherd's staffs. Well, which is it, legend? If you don't know which it is, why are you even telling me this story? Your details are a little thin where it counts. Or, as it says on the Snopes page, one has to wonder how we supposedly know that one specific person invented the candy cane, we know where he lived, and we know precisely why he made the candy canes the way he did, yet no one even knows his name? So that's my list. Any surprises for you? Did I blow your mind and rock your world? Or maybe I left out your favorite Christmas urban legend. Let us know at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Speaking of hearing from you, it's time to take a quick peek inside Santa Bab's mailbag. Santa Bab, he is gonna read some emails from you, or tweets, or Facebook messages to Santa Bab, he is opening up his mailbag tonight. Remember, I love to read your thoughts and opinions, so don't hesitate to write in at christmas at tancast.com. Hey Tim, dinner's ready. Thanks Ma, you guys can start without me, I'm still recording the show. Okay. Sorry about that. Back to the mailbag. The email I've got today is from Anthony, who writes, Hi, Tim. I really enjoyed the last couple episodes. I listen to a ton of podcasts, but I really do look forward to yours every month. 
Thank you very much. Uh, I love your humor and wit, and you seem like a genuinely nice guy. If you remember me, I was the first guy who commented on your intro to the news segment to the tune of All I Want for Christmas. Well, I really miss it since you've changed it, and I want it back, LOL. The new one is a bit, to be tactful, a little underwhelming? He wrote high-pitched voice in parentheses, so I knew how to read that. Anyway, I recommend you bring the old one back. Okay, I'm done. Keep it up. Can't wait for the next one. Regards, Anthony. Well, Anthony, first off, I may seem like a genuinely nice guy, but that's because you've never seen me lose my marbles on my five-year-old at the grocery store. Stop touching that! No! We are only here to buy milk! Just, just stop doing things! But as for the intro to our news segment, as the saying goes, give the people what they want. All I want for Okay, I regret this already. How much longer are you gonna hold the- Oh, for the love of missiles, oh, stop it! Sorry. Okay, well, I didn't just torture us with that jingle for nothing. I do have a news item here. I first saw this thanks to listener Leslie, but I have since heard it from many of my L.A. area pals. It concerns a little theme park full of magic and memories that opened way back in 1955. Huh? Merry Christmas, everyone! Not so fast, character that sounds similar to, but for copyright reasons is definitely not Mickey Mouse. I'm not talking about Disneyland. Aw, shucks. This story is about Santa's Village in Lake Arrowhead, California. Just listen to this vintage commercial that's so old... How old is it? It's so old, it could be on Betamaximus.com. You can visit Santa in the wintertime, because right now he's at Santa's Village in the San Bernardino Mountains. Twelve big rides provide fun for the whole family. Visit the petting zoo. See Santa's reindeer. There's food and treats from the Pixie Pantry and the Good Witch's Bakery. And lots more. Santa's Village is fun, forest, and fantasy all rolled into one. Santa's Village in the colorful San Bernardino Mountains on Highway 18, just 30 minutes north of San Bernardino. But you may be asking... Why did I have to grab a vintage commercial? Well, this place shut down in 1998. But some of you Santa's Village fans must have been really nice this year because it looks like the park may reopen this year. Temporarily. For the holiday season. Maybe. Okay, that's a lot of conditions, but here's the story. A couple of years ago, some developers bought the theme park and the land around it with the intention of reopening it as Sky Park at Santa's Village. Unfortunately, there's a lot of environmental assessment that has to go into opening a tourist attraction of that size, of that kind, in California's San Bernardino Mountains. So, the Sky Park plan has been stalled, but they have now applied for a temporary use permit to operate the Santa's Village portion of the property for the 2016 holiday season. Project manager Bill Johnson said, My hope is that we... I don't know if this is what he sounds like, that's just what I'm going for. My hope is that we are allowed to open the village as everybody remembers it. And they've already begun work. They're getting the buildings ready, they're hiring staff, they're installing cash registers. The only problem is, they haven't technically gotten permission to reopen it yet. County spokesman David Wirt says... The county anticipates... Sorry, again, I don't know if that's his voice. I'm just doing the best I can. All right. The county anticipates it will be able to decide whether or not to grant the permit prior to November 1st. I've tried to hold off on recording this as long as I could in case the county came back with a decision. In fact, I'm even missing dinner with my family because I'm recording this so late. Tim, where's the butter? Oh, James must have hid in his toy box again. Okay, thanks. Toddlers, am I right? True story. Anyway, despite recording this late, the county has yet to make an announcement. So sadly, this story may or may not have a happy ending, and I won't know which it is until after it's time to post this. But keep watching our Facebook and our Twitter feeds for any updates on this breaking story. Facebook.com slash Can't Wait for Christmas or at ChristmasPod on Twitter. But now it's time for this month's feature story. 
Now, a few episodes back, I made a point of how this show tends to focus on the trappings of Christmas and doesn't delve too deep into the religious aspects of the holiday. The reason being is this is a comedy podcast, and I've found people don't like jokes about their religion. Even if the jokes aren't meant to belittle the religion, people are very sensitive and can take humor as a sign of disrespect. So I don't want anyone turning this podcast off because they feel I've insulted them or their faith. I want people turning this podcast off because it's the end, and they've just played it for all their grateful friends yet again. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm just saying that's what I want. A fella can dream, can he? Anyway, with that long disclaimer out of the way, I'd like to tiptoe into religious waters. Today, we're going to talk about the history and accuracy of nativity scenes. Are you talking about the nativity? Oh, yeah, Mom. And I'm almost... Have I got a story for you. Huh. Well, no one can get mad at my mom, right? This is a brilliant idea. Here's the mic. Hit it, Ma. Well, sweetheart, I don't know if you remember, but um, my family had a lot of Christmas traditions, and I, and I exposed you to a lot of them. But, um, but one of my favorite ones was the nativity scene. Um, when we were growing up, we would always put the nativity scene out but we would not put the Christ child and the manger out because he wasn't born yet. So on the Christmas morning, one of us lucky kids would get to put the Christ child into the nativity scene and then presents would be opened. Yay! So when when uh, we were starting to decorate and, and uh, you were little, I always tried to impart to you that the Christmas was about Christ being born. It wasn't just presents and things like that. So we would always help me set up the nativity scene. And since I only had one handsome son, you got to put in the Christ child every Christmas morning. Well, one year when you and I were decorating, you were putting up the nativity scene and I was fixing the tree and you sat there and you went, oh, this is all wrong. And I was so worried and so upset that maybe you were thinking it was all about presents and you didn't even understand Christmas. And so I I really kind of said, well, what, sweetheart, what's wrong? And you said, this nativity scene is all wrong. This isn't how it goes. And it's like, oh, no, what? I said, what? And then you proceeded to give me a litany of things is wrong. Okay, first of all, Joseph and Mary hadn't even shown up. They were still traveling. And of course, the three wise men, they don't show up till January the 6th, the 12th day of Christmas. So they're not supposed to be there. The shepherd is out there with his sheep. And so the sheep and the shepherd aren't supposed to be there. You were nice enough to say, well, the cows could stay in the stable. Oh, and I could keep the stable there. That was good. <laughs> and you even allowed the uh, um, North Star to, to be out there. So that was okay. And I said, well, then what should we do about it? And you promptly scooped up the three wise men, took them over to the baseboard by the front door, and said, this will be how long it'll take for them to get there. And then you put uh, Mary and Joseph up on a cabinet, and then you put the shepherd and the sheep down by the tree, a little ambiance there, you know. So that looked nice. And then every day you moved them a little closer. And so Christmas Eve was looking really good. And um, it was just it was just so much fun. And then as the years go by, you got more and more creative. They were everywhere, somewhere in the house, but somewhere where I wouldn't trip over them. So that was good. And and it gave me a really good reason to leave my Christmas tree up until January the sixth. So Merry Christmas to all. And you're such a handsome sweetheart. Ah, enough with the handsome. People know the truth. But thanks for stopping by and sharing that story with us. Thank you, honey. Be sure to save me some garlic bread.
Well, that makes it a little easier to talk about this now that we have a jumping off point, right? But before we talk about nativity scenes as they are now, let's go back to where they began. The year is 1223, and St. Francis of Assisi has just returned from a trip to the Holy Land and a viewing of the birthplace of Jesus. He wanted to impart this feeling of wonder and awe to the villagers in the Italian village of Grecio, so he actually got permission from the Pope. Actually, let me stop right there. He didn't just ask the Pope, he got permission from the Pope. Now, granted, I'm not exactly a higher up in the Catholic Church, but... Hang on there, buddy. What? What is going on? I'm with the humor police. Are you about to make some sort of joke at the Pope's expense? Oh, no way! I was just going to say that it's 2016, and in a world of emails, smartphones, Twitter, and Skype, I wouldn't have no idea how to contact the Pope, so I can't imagine how impossible it would have been back in 1223. Clearly, St. Francis was really motivated to make this happen. Hmm, okay, that seems to check out, but you watch yourself, funny man. I got my eye on you. Okay, well, happy holidays. I think you mean Merry Christmas! Okay, but it's October. Okay, he's gone. Well, that was awkward. Anyway, St. Francis set up a manger in a cave with a live ox and a donkey. Then he invited the villagers and preached about baby Jesus. Now, back then, masses were conducted in Latin, which your average Joe didn't speak. So something like this really brought the story to life for these villagers. And again, this wasn't our current nativity diorama that these folks saw. It was two farm animals and some hay. And that was enough to bring it to life for them. So much so that people say the hay used in that first nativity scene acquired the power to cure local cattle of diseases and pestilences. That is some powerful stuff if just a reenactment can cause hay to cure cow lupus. Hey! What? What now? Are you mocking the miracle hay? Oh, come on. It's just hay. It was 800 years ago. Hey, if you mock, you take a walk. Uh... Where do I walk to? If you mock, you take a walk. Can I mock you? Because you are making zero sense. Listen, the humor police are here to make sure... Uh, look, look, uh, officer, I'm just going to do what I do. There's no bad intent, and it's not meant to make anybody feel bad. But you can't keep butting in every time I make a joke. It's ruining my timing. Plus, you're making this take longer, and we've still got to get to the contest. People are waiting to vote in the Jingle Brawl semifinals, and my dinner's getting cold. So get out of here! All right, Mr. Giggles, but you're going to get letters. <laughs> Okay, where was I? Oh, actually, that turns out to be a great point for an interruption, because in all my research on the history of the Nativity, after the St. Francis story, there was always some variation of, Then Nativity scenes became popular in churches all over Italy, and eventually they caught on to countries and private citizens the world over. Well, that seems like a big leap. How did word travel? It's not like St. Francis's Nativity was broadcast on television for all to see. You had to be there. Then no DVR is going to save you. And how did the cast of characters we know now get into the Nativity? Like the Holy Family, sure, that's obvious. And the Ox and the Donkey, I guess they were holdovers from that first version. But how did the wise men get in there? What about the shepherd? And why did he bring his sheep inside where the new baby is? Although I don't have answers to these questions, I did find someone else asking similar questions. There was this 2015 article in The Atlantic called Your Christmas Nativity Scene is a Lie. Now, clickbait headline aside, they do talk about some interesting things that prove my young self was on the right track. First, the setting of the nativity is usually a cave or a barn. In The Atlantic, they say, a Bible passage describes how Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem to take part in the mandated census, but there was no room for them in the inn. But don't let the English translation fool you. The word inn doesn't refer to some kind of first century hotel, but rather something like a guest room for visitors. The Bible does say that Jesus was laid in a manger, and in reality, poorer places like Bethlehem, animals were brought into the lower level of homes at night to keep them safe from bandits. So I guess it's more likely that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were just in a home. Next up, the animals. Apparently there is nothing in the biblical accounts of Christ's birth that mention animals were actually present. All the imagery of animals comes from carols and poems, not from the actual Bible. 
So, so far, the Holy Family should actually be in an animal-free, first-century, first-floor room. Got it. But what about the other players? Well, as young me pointed out, the three wise men shouldn't be there yet. And as the Atlantic points out, there might not even be three of them. Yes, the wise men were said to bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but it doesn't say one wise man was in charge of each gift. Could have been two guys who brought it, or five. The point is, we don't know for sure. And lastly, the Atlantic points out that Jesus and the others probably weren't white. Wait, what? Whoa, no way, man. Shut this down. I'm not touching that topic today. That's a topic for somebody else's show on another day. The link to the Atlantic article is in the show notes. If you want to wade into that controversy, you go right ahead. But I'm staying here in Marytown. But I guess to put a bow on this feature, I should sum up my assessment of all these findings. Well, to put it bluntly, don't expect these revelations, no pun intended, to make me throw out my nativity scene anytime soon. Yeah, there's some odd choices of who's in the scene. But I look at it like a movie poster. How many movie posters have you seen where the image on the poster didn't depict the actual scene from the movie? But it does show an amalgam of different moments from the movie that give you a snapshot of the overall film. Like, I don't look at the Force Awakens poster and say, Hey, Kylo Ren and BB-8 weren't ever on screen at the same time. This poster is a lie! Same with the nativity scene. Yes, maybe the shepherd and the animals and the wise men weren't all there at the exact moment Christ was born, but all of those are parts of the story of Christ's birth, and so we get them all in one little diorama. It makes sense to me. And as for the setting being in a barn instead of a house, eh, let's just say no one I know is a Christian because they think Christ was born in a barn. It's an embellished detail that reinforces the concept of Christ's humble beginnings. I don't feel it does any harm, but at the same time, if somebody wanted to create a biblical text-accurate nativity scene, I'm sure there's a market out there for people who would really enjoy that. That's the great thing about Christmas. There's plenty of room for everyone under the tree. So let's not fight about the nativity. Let's just enjoy it. Okay, you still with me? Awesome. Thanks for sticking with me through that. Uh, I really appreciate it. In fact, I think you deserve a prize or something. Hey, wait a minute! I have a contest to talk about! What a ham-fisted segue! Anyway, it's getting close to time to send out your Christmas cards, right? Fortunately, the official Can't Wait for Christmas store has plenty of options to choose from that you can customize with your own name and photos. We've been working the last few months to add even more design options, and we're going to continue to add more throughout November and early December. And we want to give one lucky listener a set of holiday cards free. Yep, we'll put your photo and info on the cards and send you a whole set, up to 30 cards, to send to friends and family. We'll also include matching address labels. How do you get in on this? You gotta rock the vote! Well, to be more accurate, you gotta jingle bell rock the vote. We're seconds away from kicking off the semifinals in the Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl! Where you can vote once a day, every day, to pick the definitive version of Jingle Bells. Not only do we want you to vote, but we want you to encourage others to vote. Right now on our Facebook and our Twitter pages, there's a post encouraging people to come join our reindeer games and vote. If you share one or both of those, you'll be entered to win. Or you can write your own original post and just be sure to hashtag it Jingle Brawl and put a link to this episode. If you're someone who keeps your posts private so only your friends can see them, you don't have to add me. Just send me an email telling me that you posted about the Jingle Brawl to Christmas at Tancast.com. And I'm going to take your word for it, because it's the Christmas season, and Santa's watching. Now, in the contest, you can vote once a day every day, so of course you can feel free to encourage others to vote once a day every day. And yes, multiple posts will increase your chances of winning. But don't go crazy. One post per social media network per day. We wouldn't want to spam your friends. You have until polls close on November 20th to spread the word, and we'll announce the winner on next month's show, due out on Black Friday. But you can't tell people to vote until you know who you're voting for. So let's start the semifinals of the 2016 Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl the way! This 
This is it. All year, you've been choosing your favorite versions of Jingle Bells. This month, they go head-to-head. Eleven are competing, but only five can go on and face the wild card challenger in the finals. So let's meet the semifinalists as decided by your votes. Andy Williams. Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in one or so can Gene Audrey. Sinatra! Dashing through the snow Good-o. In a one-horse open sleigh Good-o. O'er the fields we go Good-o. Laughing all the way Good-o. Willie Nelson! Bells on bobtails ring Making spirits bright What fun it is to ride And sing a sleighing song tonight Jim Reeves! Jingle bells, jingle bells Jingle all the way Transfer! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Nat King Cole! Now the ground is white, go it while you're young. Take the girls tonight and sing the sleighing song. Bare naked ladies! Just get a bobtail baby, 244 speed. Hitch him to an open sleigh and cry, you'll take the lead. Bing Crosby and the Andrew Sisters. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Perry Como. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Dolly Parton. Jingle bells. Unlike the previous rounds where you could only vote for one, in this round you can vote for your three favorites that you'd like to see in the finals. Once again, the polls are open until November 20th, and you can vote once a day, every day until then. So make your voice heard now. We guarantee the most fun you'll have voting in November will be right here in the 2016 Jingle Brawl! We did it! Not only are we at the end of the show, we are a little bit closer to Christmas. I want to give special thanks to my mom, who wrote me that letter in an email, and I liked it so much I asked her to read it on the show, and she graciously agreed. But instead of just reading it, she's just summarized it beautifully off the top of her head, like a pro. So thanks, Ma! Don't forget to use the hashtag Jingle Brawl and throw a link to this episode if you'd like to win those Christmas cards. Also, feel free to browse around at Zazzle.com slash Can't Wait for Christmas to start deciding what style you might like. Also, if you have an idea for something you don't see but would like to see, shoot me an email at christmasattancast.com and maybe our designers can make something to your liking. Or you can use that email address to send me anything you want. Comments, questions, jokes, riddles, pirate treasure maps with clues that are too hard for you to figure out. Actually, send that last thing over to my buddy Phil Johnson at the Under the Crossbones Pirate Podcast. If pirates are your thing, that's the podcast for you. Wait, what was I talking about? How to get on pirates? Well, anyway, get out there and vote in the Jingle Brawl and spread the word. I'll see you on the other side of Thanksgiving with a report from, spoiler alert, the happiest place on Earth. In the meantime, keep laughing all the way. That was Christmas 1983.
Actually, Dad, it's 2016. Uh, oh, thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like this show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and write us a review. Or if you prefer to stream your podcast, we're now available on Stitcher as well. <laughs> if you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. There you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can buy customizable Christmas decorations, clothing, and other gift ideas all year long. Our show only comes out once a month, but we love to interact with you any day of the year. Just come by to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can't wait for Christmas pod, or our Twitter name at Christmas pod, or you can always send us an email directly at Christmas at tangas.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast podcast network. We wish you a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band. And this glorious version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the amazing Kristen Nowicki. All of their music and sounds are properties of their individual copyright holders and no infringement is intended. All right, I can't think of anything else to say. How about you boys? God bless us, everyone. Well, I thought you were recording it right now. I am. Oh, oh, oh! You're gonna splice all this. Yes. Oh, I thought we were gonna do it straight through. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Uh, so you're even recording that? Okay. Yeah, we're recording all this. Wonderful. This will make the outtakes. Oh, swell. <laughs> you don't want to be in the outtakes? My son is handsome. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> When you go there, it looks like a set from the Stranger Things. And that's fitting, because you'll see some strange things in that circa 1980 vision. <sighs> There's a squirrel running around on my roof. The year is 1223, and St. Francis of Assisi... Oh, I didn't learn how to pronounce Assisi! Half the outtakes of this show are me not pronouncing things right. Well, I assume it's that Southern pronounce it then. I mean, I'm sure the how to pronounce English is... All right, all right, all right. I'm sure the how to pronounce English YouTube channel is the number one go-to source for correct pronunciations. He wanted to impart this feeling of wonder and awe to the villagers in the Italian village of Grecio. <sighs> Grecio? I'm just going to say Grecio because I can't find how to pronounce it. Sorry, Grecioans, if I'm pronouncing this wrong. I said what? And then you proceeded to give me a litany of things that's wrong. Okay, Jesus and Mary are still traveling. They're not here yet. The wise men won't show up till January the wait, 6th. Wait. Back it up. Joseph and Mary. Oops. <laughs> what did I say? Jesus and Mary. Oh, yeah, they Although were traveling. She wasn't, <laughs> they were traveling together, but I'm sure you meant Joseph. <laughs> we guarantee the most fun you'll have voting in November will be right here in the 2016 Jingle Brawl! <laughs> the jingle brawl kills my voice. Kills it. Well, I just have to tell you that um, uh, I was thinking about your blog, and and the reason I um, did it is because it's so sad that on one hand I have to say happy holidays because you don't want to offend anybody. 
but it's Christ's birthday, you know, so that's what we should be celebrating. So that's why I wrote that. And then when I wrote that and you said you liked it, I sent a copy to my mother. (laughs) (laughs) My mother doesn't know what a blog is, so. Well, especially this is a podcast, not a blog, so. Oh, swell. (laughs) (laughs) And that's my wife blowing her nose. Oh, (laughs) that is not going in there. Sure it is. People love the realness. No, that's disgusting. Whew! I did it! I'm done! My throat hurts! I want a nap! <laughs>